you don't speak, the jacket stuff's not going to come out and there's no way that it can be smoothed over. I mean, we shouldn't be afraid of making mistakes. I think society has really done a number on us, you know, if we make a mistake or we may do whatever, we're not perfect. No English speaker is perfect. Hello, Clever Evers Tribe, and welcome to Season 6, Episode 5. Today I'm here with Debbie. She's actually my mentor and why I started teaching in the first place. My first job. First of all, Debbie, how does an Australian end up in Greece? That's a long way. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, first of all, thanks, Gabby, for having me on. Uh, it's always a pleasure to, to talk to you. Um, how did I get here? I, I think um, I, I like to call myself a reverse immigrant. I know that's not a term, but that's what I like to call myself because my parents uh, were from here. And I returned here for a holiday and I ended up staying. I know from your LinkedIn profile is at least 25 years. So we're talking some time, definitely. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't know you had a Greek roots, so that's pretty interesting. Yeah, both my parents were Greek, so... Okay. So then you were already a clever hybrid growing up, and I didn't even factor that in. What was that like? You're Australian kid, but you have Greek culture at home. That was interesting. I wouldn't say that I was a clever hybrid because I wasn't really into the Greek that much, to be honest. My father spoke English quite well. As we grew up, it was more like... We spoke to dad in English and, you know, mom spoke to us in Greek. If I was in trouble, it would definitely be Greek. <laughs> and I tended to get into trouble quite a bit as a child. So, yeah, two different worlds. Just from the little that I know about people who are the first gen, it's a, a bit of a melding of the cultures and it's fun, but it can also be kind of difficult. But then you decided to do it again where you're like first gen diaspora and then you move back. How was that different? I think I fell into the trap that most people fall into when it comes to Southern Europe, that summer in Greece, amazing. Holidays are different to, to actually living in a place. It was a culture shock, beyond culture shock, so I, I would say, even though I grew up in a, in a Greek household, it was a huge, huge culture shock. Very different. Okay, yeah, I guess Greeks in Australia is like Greek light and Greeks in Greece. Another level. Another level. <laughs> exactly. Another level. Yeah, a totally different level. Yeah. Not bad. Not bad. Different approaches to things, different ways of thinking about things, you know, ways to get around situations maybe, or, you know, just speaking out and just saying exactly what you think kind of gets you into trouble <laughs> sometimes. Especially if you're a girl, I know the feeling. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> especially if you're a girl, yes, yeah. Yeah, so then how did you meet your husband and is he first gen also? What's the story there? Oh, no, he's, he's like 100% oh, Greek, actually. I moved to the area where my um, husband uh, was from, so, which is a place that you know, I had no friends, no relatives, no nothing in this area. So it was a big shock, actually. I had to, you know, start from zero, completely from zero. Mm. 
And how did you adjust? Because this was when there was no WhatsApp. It feels like that doesn't exist, exactly. but there was a time with no WhatsApp. <laughs> yes, there was. There actually was. And no mobile phones and no Skype and no internet. I, I would always speak to my dad on the phone. It would be like this once a week, Sunday thing. And he would always come over. I would go home. Now it's it's much easier because we have, as you said, we have WhatsApp, we have Skype. Because my parents have passed. Uh, I can talk to my sister and my niece and my nephew quite easily, so it's much, much easier to stay connected than it was. It was difficult. It wasn't easy. Yeah. You're a daddy's girl like me. I call home every day. <laughs> <laughs> yep, totally daddy's girl. Yeah. <laughs> With Debbie, how did you avoid what happens with many people that return home or that are expats? They usually just end up with the expats. I don't know why I would do that. I mean, what's the point of living in a country and, and just having creating your own mini country within the country and ignoring, you know, everything else that's going on around you? Attention kept, you know, the same belief system, I don't know, the same char character that I had. I don't know whether that's good or bad, though, Gabby, to be honest. Yeah, I guess it could be like a two-edged sword. You keep your character traits, but then you also can understand what's going on around you. So I feel like that's the more modern version of integrating. You don't have to assimilate. You have to be like, this is who I am. This is who you guys are. I can tolerate this, you can tolerate this part, we have to compromise on this. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah, totally agree with you. There's still a lot of stuff that I don't know how to cook. Most of the time, like, in the past, I would get really upset um, and try to find, you know, like, a solution, try to analyze stuff and, and stuff like that. I think I'm at the point now where I'm like, okay, that's fine. You go your way, I go my way, or, you know, like, I understand that, you understand that, we differ, channel kind of thing. Why waste time? Sometimes when people just get too comfortable, personal space, your personal space isn't your personal space anymore, which kind of, that happened at work a lot. We need more boundaries when we're not at home than we do when we are at home. Because you blew my mind that you are Greek. I was not expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to ask, how in the world did, did you start teaching then? What, I guess that's like the natural expat move when you're moving, like I'm going to teach English, but was there something more profound than that? That was a bit of a shock when, when I started here, teaching here, because the, my first job, was where I had to use English and Greek. So I had to translate vocabulary and stuff like that. Vocabulary that I really didn't know at all. So I ended up, you know, staying up until godforsaken hours, looking in the dictionary and writing stuff down. And I did that, I think, for about three years. And I learned a lot of Greek that way. Those three years really helped me develop my vocabulary. I like the fact that you're able to help someone develop their knowledge, not just like in 
learning the language, but learning about the culture, learning about the literature. And I've learned a lot from students as well. You know, like they learn from me, but I've learned a lot from students. So it's completely fulfilling. Yeah, I agree. I think when we think of teacher, we think mostly of someone just telling you stuff. But the way you teach and the way you taught me to teach Debbie is more of like a, a mentor. You're explaining stuff to them and they're like, well, in our culture, we do this. I'm like, ah, okay. It's more of a conversation that ends up learning English instead of, this is the verbs, okay? <laughs> Repeat after me. <laughs> I think that may be one of the reasons where, you know, that I didn't go to my Greek lessons. <laughs> So now let's ask the master a few questions. Okay. Uh, you've seen the struggles now for over 20 years. What are the main struggles that you're seeing people getting stuck with? And what's your best tip to get over that? Students believe that they'll learn English very, very quickly. So within a six month period, for example, they'll go from yeah, intermediate to proficient, uh, which of course, doesn't happen anywhere in any language. What I've noticed, especially now with all this marketing, is like, learn a language in three months, learn a language in six months. It's like, you can go from zero to being able to say something in six months, but you cannot, in six months, you can't go from being able to say something to being able to go to college in that language. That's not how that works. And, and you, you know that, Debbie, that there are a lot of students who will say, yeah, I want one lesson a week. I want one hour a week and I want to improve my English. It's not going to happen with one hour a week. If their goal is at some stage to take an exam for work or something like that, three hours would be the least amount of time in a week for someone to study the language in order to prepare themselves. The least amount of time. For someone who wants to just learn to speak uh, and learn the language, one hour is definitely up, I would say at least two hours a week. If someone takes a break from, from learning English, even a one-year break, they will take steps backwards and those steps will also have to be covered. One hour a week is nothing. And I would say self-study is also something. And with kids, it's easier because they're, you know, they're used to it. Adults really need to try to start that over and sit down, study, look over what they've done in their lesson to be able to use it properly. Ask questions. Always, you know, they need to ask questions all the time. I mean, that's what we're there for. Students should realize that it's their time. It's their time to speak. It's their time to ask. It's their time to, to learn. Yeah. And it helps when you have a teacher that tells you that because I've heard some horror stories of teachers that have a clicker for every mistake that they hear or... <laughs> They correct you mid-sentence all the time, and you're just like, you know what, forget this. I'm not going to say anything else. <laughs> so it's a, yeah, it, they have like a clicker. Every time you make a mistake, it's like, eh, eh, eh. It, that's very demotivating. The main thing is many people lose that freeness around their teenager years when they're worried what everybody else thinks. When you're under 10, you don't care. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't care. You don't care at all. Yeah. So just stay childlike. Like, I have this amazing student. She's 60 years old, 60 plus, right? She's, she's amazing. 
And she keeps telling me, yeah, but I, you know, I can't remember things the way that I used to remember things. And it's like, yes, you can. Of course you can. We're training our brains to, to do things at whatever age people can be successful and learn a language at whatever age they want. That is part of the problem with the Industrial Revolution and the idea of retirement, too, where after 65, people feel like their learning is no longer relevant or they don't have as much potential as they used to have. But when you look at history from before, you have these sages of wisdom that they're like almost a hundred and they're remembering whole texts and scripts and they're teaching people how to do stuff. It's like back then, you were alive, you do stuff. Yeah. So you're alive, you can do it. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We're alive. We should keep learning. Don't worry about, you know, like, when am I going to speak perfectly? No one speaks perfectly. No one speaks any language perfectly. You have to have a very clear goal and also realize, like you said, Debbie, not to be perfect. You have to focus on communicating. And most of what you're doing should be communicating and just kind of smoothing over whatever jagged stuff comes out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because if you don't speak, the jackets, jagged stuff's not going to come out and there's no way that it can be smoothed over. I mean, we shouldn't be afraid of making mistakes. I think society has really done a number on us. You know, if we make a mistake or we make do whatever, we're not perfect. You know, no one has to be perfect. No English speaker is perfect. Now with all these people saying, yeah, I speak English, they want proof. So there's a whole alphabet soup of different tests that you can take for adults and kids. So we have for the adults, IELTS, TOEFL, GMAT, GRE, OET. First, can you explain just a brief description of what each of those is? Because I even I only recognize three of them. IELTS, of course, is probably the one that everyone knows. So you have the academic module, which is for people who want to enter a foreign university or even a university in their own country if they want to do a master's. You have the general module, which is for people who want to move to a different country so they know that someone can speak. I would say GMAT and GRE are a little bit different in that GMAT is based more on logic, whereas GRE is based more on vocabulary. Both have maths though, as well, which I've never helped anyone with mathematics because I've totally destroyed them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no worries. Our first episode was actually with a GMAT math tutor from Peru. There you so go. If you guys are looking for that. <laughs> look at that one. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, just the English, just the English. And of course, there's also a writing part as well in, in both of them. OET is for doctors and nurses. So if someone wants to go and work uh, as a doctor, a medical professional generally in, in another country, they will have to sit for the OET exam. And again, that one has its listening module, its writing module, uh, it has its speaking module. And that is really, really based on the medical uh, professions. So that's the ones for the adults. What are these... Cambridge exams for kids used for? If you want to go and take the B2 exam and you've never had sat another exam before, 
it would be quite a nerve-wracking experience, right? So by just getting kids to take a couple of the exams before they start taking, uh, sitting the, the B2 exam or the C1 exam or the proficiency exam, they feel comfortable in the environment. They know the process. They understand the process. So they're not nervous. It's not something foreign to them. And I think that, for me, that's the most important thing. Now, as a wrap-up here, Debbie, what is the main misconception that people have about English teachers that they need to wipe out of their brain? We're teachers, but we don't know everything. If we say, you know what, I'll, I'll look that up and I'll get back to you, that's not something negative. That's us showing respect to our students and not just making something up in our heads because of everything that's happened globally and teachers have popped up everywhere. They've had a bad experience or, you know, someone didn't help them. Most teachers aren't like that. Most of us really want our students to learn well, to have solid foundations, to be able to build on those foundations. Most of us really want the people who are learning English to learn English. That's a very excellent closing point. Debbie, where can someone get in touch with you to work with you on their English or to prepare for one of these tests? I know you're on LinkedIn. If you could tell us how to say your last name, because I'm not going to butcher it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not saying it that's the problem, Gabby. Most people have, have issues spelling it for some reason. And it's, it's yeah, it's Mertiris. Mertiris, Debbie Mertiris. Thank you so much for joining me on this, not really a trip down memory lane, but like a tribute to the first believer I had. So thank you for that. No, Debbie, it was wonderful talking to you. Thank you for having me. And Clever Hybrids, thank you for staying with us until the end. This is the end of season six, episode five. Gabby V for Clever Hybrids, and we'll see you in the next one.